You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 201. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Levin and Pontus Spökman. See us, Doc. Всем привет! Hey, Sanesan! Hey! Hey, Sally! Post 200 it is! <laughs> 201, yes. Yeah, post 200. Oh, yeah. post 200. Okay, good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> then I'm with you. Post apocalypsis. Apocalypsis? Apocalypsis. I'll have a couple of those, yes. Apocalypsis. <laughs> <laughs> It's like starting over, isn't it? This is episode one all over again. Well, so we've been marking every hundred episode with a new spreadsheet, so it is kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the spreadsheet Yelena is referring to is our podcast script. Even even though it doesn't always sound like it, we do have a script to go by. We always start <laughs> with a plan and then we'll go take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this just a little bit of information for those who, who like wrong. to look under the hood. Mm-hmm. That's how um, sausage is made. Well, a lot has happened since we recorded our 200th episode. I'd like to thank everyone again who congratulated us, either by sending us a wonderful, really lovely audio recording, or congratulating us on Facebook or by email. You guys are great. And of course, you all agreed that we should keep doing it. And this is what we intend to do. So we do have a show prepared for you today. But one of the things we mentioned on the last show was the then ongoing COP25, the great UN gathering climate change meeting. However, it didn't really end well. It didn't really produce any outcome that would take us closer to an actual solution to tackling climate change. Never mind. But one thing happened since then. Greta Thunberg, whom a lot of us admire for her courage to speak up and lead a worldwide campaign, she has been announced as the Time Magazine's Person of the Year for Mm, 2019. So, uh, congratulations. This, I think, is very well deserved. Let me just say what the media franchise said when on Wednesday, right after the announcement on its website. She was named Times Magazine Person of the Year for sounding the alarm about humanity's predatory relationship with the only home we have, for bringing to a fragmented world a voice that transcends backgrounds and borders, for showing us all what it might look like when a new generation leads. Here, here. Yeah, very good, very good. As we are talking uh, about this now, we can see again and again how climate is changing. By the time this episode goes out, they're projecting temperatures close to 48 or even 50 degrees in Australia. It's the highest since ever. Sometime in the 60s, they had one or two days, but but this this is crazy. Yeah. So yeah, to all our listeners in, in Australia, I hope you keep safe because this is dangerous weather. Mm. And um, th- this is why I couldn't agree more with Greta, who spoke at the UN meeting. And she made a very important point, I think, because she said the real danger is not in inaction. 
The real danger is when politicians and CEOs are making it look like real action is happening. Mm, When in fact, almost nothing is being done apart from clever accounting and creative PR. Mm. I think that's just hitting the nail right on the head. We need to do something, people. And it's really, it boils my blood to just read about how nothing has been achieved in four days or five days of uh, a bit climate meetup. It was the greatest gathering ever to tackle climate change or, or have talks on the issue, and nothing's really materialized out of it. Yeah, it's just yeah. yeah, we are. We need to be more prepared, and they are. It looks like they are just putting it off to 2020 when it it will happen in Glasgow. Mm. <laughs> That's de- it's depressing. Yeah, it is. This is why it's completely understandable that uh, Greta and and others, her followers, see the only option in them taking action, some action. Luckily, they say, they keep saying that no violence is being advocated, and that is pretty good. As long as it stays so, we can all side with them, I think. All right, I would like to invite you, Jelena, to tell us about something that has happened this week in Skepticism. I want to talk about the man who was born this week on 22nd of December 1839. His name was John Neville Masculine. Yeah. Uh, he was actually an English person, so I'm not sure. This is not a very sound English-sounding name, but I might be mistaken. Anyway, he was born in Cheltenham, Gloucestershire in England. Isn't it Gloucestershire? It is. I think it is, yeah. I, I was just bast- I was bastardizing the name. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Well done, Yelena, well done. <laughs> now, uh, the reason why I want to talk about him, because he invented the pay toilet. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. He did invent pay toilet, though. How awesome is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, well, he was a magician, really. Uh, really great stage magician in England. And his magic tricks and delusions are still performed today. He also was the one who invented the illusion of levitation even though it's incorrectly attributed to Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin. Anyway, he's done a lot of work in the uh, magical world. Uh, however, he's also founded a uh, society that we have a particular interest in, and it was called a cult committee. The purpose of this committee was to investigate, and I quote, investigate claims to supernatural power and to expose fraud, end quote. Good idea. I support it. Y- yeah. Absolutely. So being a magician himself, he knew where the fraudsters were at and where the bodies were buried and all that. And so he wanted to expose them because a lot of the spiritualists of that time claimed to have real real magic powers. And of course, he knew better. He um, has written about it a lot. Um, he, he's written a book in 1891 called The Supernatural? Question mark, And it was one of the earliest texts in the field of animalistic psychology. Which I know that our friend Chris French would probably heard about or probably even read about because he works in an animalistic psychology field. And so he did a lot of uh, great work around that with his occult committee. And this is the reason why I wanted to mention him today. Ah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much, Elan. Moving on to the special moment on every episode when Pontus starts poking the Pope. As the year is coming to an end, 
it could be interesting to look both back and forward uh, when it comes to Francis. And it's been a very busy year for, for Francis in 2019. Of course, there's been the never-ending scandals, but he has also been preoccupied with a lot of other things during the year. For one thing, he is hard at work getting his new constitution in place. The Roman Curia that he wants to replace uh, with his own idea of how the Vatican and how the Holy See is supposed to be working. So he's been working with that for quite some time. There were some uh, drafts ready already in May, and then it was expected to be in place in September this year. But on 4th of December, a new delay was announced, and it will not happen, or the new uh, Curia will not come into place until after February next year. So uh, this will change the whole structure of the Vatican and the Holy See. And uh, it's interesting to see what he's coming up to. And I also wonder why it's taking so long. There are indications that he's actually planning quite some um, changes and there might be a resistance to that within the church. Then also during the year, he, it's been all the business with the Synod for the Amazon that we talked a lot about during the autumn, which resulted in the proposal of appointing married priests and female deacons in the Amazon. And that work is not finished because the the synod is over, but now the world is waiting for Francis' so-called apostolic exhortation, which is the final letter where he lays down the final say in the matter. Then he also published another document earlier uh, this year. It's called Christus Vivit. means Christ is alive, I guess. That was regarding the responsibilities of the church regarding abuse against children. And lately during the autumn, he has gone all in and appointed more cardinals than expected. All of them with a clear profile that, of people that support him. So he's, he's busy. And... During all of this, he's also traveled like never before. He has covered, according to one estimate, 83,000 kilometers in 2019, visiting all continents except Australia and Antarctica. That's pretty hard work for an 83-year-old. Yeah, it's almost one. It's it's about one fifth of the distance between the Earth and the, and the Moon. That's mm, um, oh really? Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should send uh, Francis to the moon and see what he can do there. <laughs> Fly me to the moon. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that was another Frank oh. singing that. <laughs> Frankly. We're on the roll today. We... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So how about looking forward and see what's going on? Because it does. there's no sign of him slowing down. He's apparently working to demote the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, also known as the Inquisition, or La Suprema. So that, that's been the most important congregation so far. But he's instead giving a lot of power to something else called the Congregation of the Evangelization of Peoples, also known as Propaganda Fidei. Propaganda, of course, means what it sounds like, and Fidei is the faith. So it's the how to propagate the faith in, in the world. He's very much underlining the role of the church to, to the missionary task to spread the word. So it's not strange that he wants to move over the power over there. Mm -hmm. And last week, Francis appointed a new head of the Propaganda Fidei, a 62-year-old cardinal from the Philippines called Luis... Antonio Tagle, I think Tagle, I'm trying to look that up, how to pronounce it, T-A-G-L-E. 
This guy is somebody we should keep an eye on because a lot points to that this is the guy that Francis may want to see as his successor in that he shares a lot of the same values. He has a history of supporting Francis very much. And also he is the right age for taking over after Francis. Giving him the power of what Francis is making the most important congregation is a clear hint in this regard. Now, of course, we know that popes don't, do not appoint their successors. It will be up to the next conclave of cardinals, so we will see. And as I have predicted, and listeners may remember, I, I have predicted that the next pope will not be a, a Francis type of guy. It will more be a conservative guy, but we will see what happens. Mm -hmm. The last thing we want to keep an eye on for next year is the German bishop's synodal process that has just started and is planned to continue for two years. Just to explain, a synod is a meeting of bishops, but the German Catholic bishops will meet over a two-year period off and on, and they call that a synodal process. So it's, it's a series of meetings they will have. And the reason we should look out for this is that they are already coming out with a lot of progressive statements about marriage, women and sexuality. Four German bishops gathered for formal consultations on the topic, the sexuality of man, how should one discuss it scientifically, theologically and judge it ecclesiastically in Berlin on the 5th of December. So they're using the word scientifically. I, I wonder if they know exactly what it means. But they're <laughs> saying, but the statements are quite interesting. The Archbishop of Berlin released the statement saying, and I quote, the sexual preference of man expresses itself in puberty and assumes a hetero or homosexual orientation. That's not entirely correct in, in several ways, but they're still trying to catch up. So we will allow that that sort of progress for them. Uh, the statement went on, quote, uh, both, both the, sexual, the homosexual and heterosexual orientation, that means, both belong to the normal forms of sexual predisposition, which cannot and should not be changed with the help of a specific socialization. So at least they're saying that being gay is not abnormal and it shouldn't be fought. And it's a start. So let's see uh, what the conservative parts of the church will, will say about this going forward. Mm. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that means we are moving on to the news. And I'd like to start with something that is very close to my heart. We have uh, been chatting about what has been achieved in the climate change crisis and tackling that crisis. Not much, I have to say. However, there might be some light in the distance. And that light seems to be lit by the European Union, especially the European Commission. The European Commission is responsible for um, coming up with uh, proposals for Europe-wide legislation. And um, this is the case when it comes to climate change. To solve the climate crisis, the European Commission came up with the idea of a so-called European Green Deal. Now, this could seem like a bit of a copycat from uh, the, the American Green New Deal kind of thing. Uh, but I don't think it's a problem. 
to copy such a thing, such an initiative, such a project, but the European Green Deal seems to be very ambitious. What they're proposing is, uh, first of all, not only tackling climate change and reducing carbon emissions, but completely redoing the whole economic system and development of Europe as a whole. This is more than ambitious. It means that uh, they need to allocate money as well. Now, the ambition is to mobilize 100 billion euros precisely targeted to the most vulnerable regions and sectors. These are the words of uh, the new European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. A couple of days ago, she announced this uh, European Green Deal in Brussels, while the COP25 was still on in Madrid. And that's interesting. Obviously, it has to be accepted, it has to be discussed by different EU committees and bodies. It's just a proposal, but it's very ambitious. Among those ambitions, there is a large change with regards to carbon emissions. The original target for Europe by 2030 is a reduction by 50% compared to the level of 1990. But it has been asked for to be reduced even further uh, to 65, a reduction of 65% by 2030. And by 2050, reduce carbon emissions to zero. Mm, that's ambitious. Now, this, it is. This, this whole document, and it's, it's worth reading through even just a couple of things, because it gives you the idea that European legislators seem to have understood properly what it entails to go through with such an ambitious plan, because you have to plan for massive economic changes, you have to compensate for a couple of cuts here and there, so that European people will not suffer, but instead Europe will thrive tackling climate change. And this would, could mean that Europe is a global leader in the fight against climate change. So I'd really, really hope that European leaders who will have to vote on this at some point realize how important this is and how much of an actual opportunity this is for Europe to lead the fight. If this happens, it will strengthen my feeling of pride to be a European citizen <laughs> and i really want to be yeah let's that hope pride let's hope you're proud. not too optimistic here i i know that a lot of it things sounds can very happen ambitious. yes yeah, yeah. Um, well but it's it comes from the european commission that's the important part of it the european commission is always responsible for drafting legislative change within the eu and this time at least this makes a lot of sense however i have to say that i do not agree with everything that is said Mm -hmm. in this. They said it's basically a broad roadmap. So this gives me hope in terms of, of a couple of things that seem dodgy, like um, when they uh, try to talk about uh, a greener economy and a greener agriculture as well, and a, uh, a better maintained agriculture. Now, it's specifically mentioned in the proposal that um, organic farming should be much more widespread. It should get more ground, no pun intended. <laughs> but we've known for a while that organic farming by itself could not feed 
the whole of Europe or, or the whole of the world. So it's definitely not the way to go down. But things like that could change in the future, depending on how much we can hear the voices of science and critical thinking. But I'm optimistic. I have to say I am optimistic now. Well, um, certainly talk the talk, we'll see. Yeah, prior to that, a couple of days earlier, the European Environment Agency put out an actual study and a proposal as well to urge action, more action. So they did say that the change of direction urgently needed to face climate change challenges of reverse degradation and ensure future prosperity. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, you said, Yelena, they talk the talk. I just hope they walk the walk as well. Uh, well, I mean, change starts at the policy level. We always bang on about it, so now we have it, so let's see. Yeah, but for, for that to happen, the public needs to have our voices heard. We need to be very loud about this. So something came to my attention, and I thought it was a very interesting topic to talk about since it's gaining momentum and a lot of coverage. Are the apps that promise to help you eat better? Mm-hmm. There are several apps that exist on the market so far. The one that's sort of spreading the most in Europe is called Yuka. It started off in France a couple of years ago, and it's now gained momentum to the point several million people have used this app. And French supermarket chain Intermarche had said it will remove, due to this app, will remove 140 food additives by the end of 2020, changing 900 food recipes in the process because of the influence of that particular app. Uh, Now, so how it works is you take, and I think... Out of the three that I've seen so far, I think they're very similar. You take, uh, so you download the app on your phone and then you use the camera to scan the code of the product you're buying and it tells you if this product is good or bad for you. And it goes for both cosmetics like makeup and food. So, of course, it sounds like a great idea. Nutrition is now really becoming so super fashionable. It's all over social networks. Um, everybody wants to be ahead of the game. It's all about eating healthy, eating clean, anti this, anti that. And of course, what these apps are doing, they're cap- capitalizing on all this. I'm, I mean, I'm sure the intention is very pure, is to help people to choose better food. I mean, not that I need to be told that crisps are not good for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Right. And, and for example, apples or bananas are, but I'm just saying. Anyways, they really concentrating on the additives. And this is what I am not particularly sure about. And this is kind of the criticisms that some of these apps were getting. It's great if, if these apps are, are, uh, have scientific basis. There's still area for improvement. And sometimes uh, the algorithm determines something to be bad for you, even though the additives are harmless. But, you know, the way that the app processed it wasn't we misfired. And it says, for example, that uh, there was one example that was used. A canned fish would be classified the same as carbonated drink without sh- sugar following these al- algorithms. So, like, some of those uh, outcomes don't make much sense. But also what I think these apps do is play into the hand of this chemophobia that we've got we see developing yeah, now you know? yeah yeah mm-hmm. so people afraid of chemicals and they and they just want to have all pure this and pure that let's just remind everybody if you're not aware yet 
every fucking thing is a chemical. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as a chemical-free <laughs> The bananas food. are chemicals, the crisps are chemicals, the water is chemicals, everything is chemical. Again, it's, it's taking these um, uh, fears that the consumers have and trying to capitalize on these. And uh, I would not be using these type of applications just because, for me, eating healthy f- are a straightforward concept. Just cook food at home from fresh ingredients. That's pretty, pretty much it. Like, you don't need some app to tell you that mm. whatever you buy in a can is less good for you than whatever you buy from the shelf, like a fresh veg or, uh, or fruit. But, you know, it might change. Well, they, this is what they're hoping and this is what they're arguing, that it might change the consumer's behavior in, and make them choose better. Yeah. And if that's that's the case, and if that's going to happen, excellent. I'll yeah. you know, I'm I'm choosing crap food not because <laughs> I don't know it's bad for me, but because I fucking love the taste. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I wonder if this can be misused. I mean, of course it can be misused if they are not honest in how they classify things. If they start to promote things that have sponsored them to you, you know oh, and yeah. also when you say it's good what do you mean good is it good I know, for I the know, right? good for so the environment you... or good for you <laughs> maybe maybe for... you need maybe you, me personally i need some things more than others because i have a certain lifestyle maybe some things that's, that are good for me are not good for you it, it's it's um well so so the claiming that it's good for your health so that's this is a specifically mm-hmm. health related yeah. uh, that's one point and another point especially uh, I know that for sure about Yuka app. I'm not sure about the other two. They claim they are not funded by any anyone, any mm-hmm, big mm-hmm. corporation. They mm. are self-funded, so they they're not uh, they're not biased. But mm. you know, with- so you you basically buy the app, or is there a, um, you download a it for subscription free, system? No, you, d- or? you download it for free apparently, so um, you can just get it. So they they develop this for free. Uh, Just I'm because sure there'll it's be some good advert. fun. In fact, let me. I actually haven't looked it up on uh, App Store. I'm sure there'll be either adverts thrown at you or something. Some so sort this of a... this might be. Oh, this might be the the kind of app that that says it's uh, in-app purchases are available. Right, yeah. So, that, uh, so that, Yuka, that means that you, you yeah, there's so a Yuka subscription is, system. Yeah, Yuka is free, and then free. it says in-app exactly. It says in-app purchases, yeah. and all, which also, of course, means there'll be some adverts. Yeah, they they will your... make money oh, yeah. somehow. Anyway, they'll they'll make money somehow, and it potentially also I've seen some vague references. Now they're free, but if they become essential and popular, I don't know. What if people say, and a lot of people do think so, that GMO must be bad for you? We know that is wrong, but a lot of people feel that way. And this, if this app does not warn you about GMO then people will stop using the app because they are, oh, this is this is an app that promotes GMO. They will stop using the app and then you, yeah. Yuka will have to start warning about GMO. Otherwise, people won't use the app. You know, there's a lot of uh, shady things going on there. I, I'm, I'm just trying to see if there was any reference to um, no, it was GMO. just. No, but it was yeah. just an example. It, I mean, it doesn't have to be GMO. I'm just saying I know. that. Yeah, I know, the, I know what you mean. The it users, could be, it could be e numbers. <laughs> yes, the users may start to influence what they want the Yuka app to to recommend yeah. for them, and then it's no longer about good for you or not. It's what people I know, want. and it's it'll be you know the the tail wagging the dog type thing. But anyway, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
But this is an interesting topic because, like I said, I haven't seen these discussions before. And all of a sudden, there were several articles that that were published recently because of the uh, sort of explosion in popularity. I mean, if you guys end up downloading one and using, let me know how it goes. But um, (laughs) okay. I think I'll be um, in a blissful unawareness that I'm eating a lot of crap, which I know, by the way. Mm. So, you know. So that's not a, not even an unawareness. <laughs> well, yeah, but sometimes you just like, I, I'm going to say it. I'm, I live in denial of half of the stuff I eat. It's not very good for me. So. We should start a new app for you, Jelena, that warns you <laughs> if your phone is trying to give you health advice that you don't want. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So it shuts that down. Yeah. Yeah, it shuts that nonsense down. Please protect me from health advice. Okay. Yes. I th- I think it could be the title of the the app. It could be named "Shut That Nonsense Down." I think or shut. Yeah. I well, think, I, I think, I think you need be. to work on the name, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice try, Anders. Yeah. Anyway, it was your try, not mine. <laughs> no, but the name. Ah, the name. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, the name. The name of the app. All right, totally different subject altogether. And actually, we're going outside of Europe. We're going to Australia, but it has a European angle. Flashback three years from now to December 2016 and our episode number 51. We talked talked then about a horrible person, and I may say horrible person because that's my opinion about him. He's called Xiao Hongqi, and he's a man from Beijing. And at the time when we talked about him, he had basically killed an old lady in the UK by so-called slapping therapy. Listeners who have been with us for a long time may remember this. He was also accused of several other things, uh, like literally beating a baby to cure it from the common cold. And he also said on his website at the time that the baby seemed to enjoy being beaten. So really a scumbag. Well, slowly turn the wheels of justice, but sometimes they do turn eventually. Uh Xiao Hongqi was recently sentenced to between 7 and 10 years in jail in Australia for manslaughter. And this concerns another case from way back in April 2015 that we didn't know about when we talked about him the last time. That case was about a six-year-old boy who died after being put in a week-long workshop by his parents, led by this scumbag, who uh, deprived the boy of his diabetes uh, shots, of his insulin, and also put him through very painful... uh, Yeah, the slapping therapy that this guy is doing. I don't want to describe it because it sounds like to be... Mm -hmm. It sounds like outright torture. And the result was that the kid died. Oh, bloody hell. So I wonder how many other victims have suffered during these years. Because as far as I can tell, the incident with the dead old lady that we talked about in 2016 never seems to have led to any legal consequences. But at least now, he's got 10 years in jail with a possible release after, I think, seven and a half years. So finally, he is put behind bars. And uh, that is in Australia, right? That yes. that he will be sentenced. Okay, he has been sentenced in Australia now. Yeah. Ah, oh, he he's he's already in now. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Good. Well deserved. Mm. Let's go. Let's come back to Europe and specifically Austria, where the annual award ceremony of the Golden Board or the Golden Board in front of the head has uh, taken place. The 2019 winner of this satirical prize uh, has been announced. So why do they call it the golden board in front of the head? That sounds a bit strange. 
Yeah, I haven't read anything about that in the last couple of years that we've covered the, the awardees. But uh, I just found a reference, a biblical reference, actually, that is from the book of Leviticus. And the story goes, the original story, that Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron and tied it around him with a sash. Then he put the robe on him and placed the... uh, Blah, blah, blah. And he placed the turban on his head with the gold plate fixed to the front of it, the holy crown, just as God had commanded Moses. Uh Aha. Yeah, so this is the biblical reference. In my reading of it, it means it's a faith-based thing. Something that is that is absolutely crazy, but you put it on your head to show um, in front of your head to show your faith. Um, well, this is what the awardees of Das Goldene Brett could do. This is a satirical prize. It is it is given to those who propagate pseudoscientific nonsense in the German-speaking world. Because of this, it is awarded by the Vienna Skeptics, that consists of the group of GVUP, the German Skeptical Organization, present in, in uh, Vienna, and the Society for Critical Thinking. They award Das Goldene Brett. So, this year, the awardee is the homeopathic uh, product manufacturer Hewelt. It's a leading manufacturer in Germany of naturopathic remedies. It's uh, Hewelt Pharmaceuticals. They claim that they have a product range of over 200 pharmacy-only medicines covering a broad spectrum of applications. But they are the, the greatest promoter and seller of homeopathic products as well. They have had clashes with critics of homeopathy in Germany, including Natalie Grams, who's the leading figure of the, the fight against homeopathy and the nonsense of it. So they are threatened with legal action. I think they even took legal action against her, but uh, it was the case was dropped after a while. Yeah, this is a company that got the Golden Plate Award. Actually, they did give out an award for Lifetime Achievement as well. And it looks like uh, this time the Lifetime Achievement Award went to Grande Wasser. They have produced for a long, long time magical pre-scientific worldviews and all the esoteric nonsense and products as well. So water revitalization processes that mm-hmm. and devices are the ones that, that they promote and, um, and produce. Yeah, these are the two awardees of the Golden Plate. And the award ceremony took place on the 13th of December in Vienna. Hmm. All right. So on to another kind of award, something that hasn't actually been presented to anyone yet. Many of us who've been around for a while in the skeptical movement, we remember James Randi's now defunct $1 million challenge to anyone who could, under controlled condition, demonstrate uh, psychic or paranormal abilities. Mm-hmm. After a long time, the price was retired, mostly because it became such a burden to administrate, I believe. And also, uh, Randy is getting on in years, and there were a lot of silly applications that were very... It took a lot of time, and it didn't really lead to anything. It was a little bit sad that it disappeared, because it's always been something for us to refer to when people make stupid claims. We could always say, fine, if you're so sure, we have this price that you can you can apply oh, yeah. for. yeah, yeah. 
Well, there is a prize now. Um, the Center for Inquiry has a special group called the Center for Inquiry Investigations Group. And they have run a similar prize since 2001. They have also now just announced that they have increased the reward from $100,000 to $250,000. And in addition, there is a finder's fee of $5,000 to anyone who finds somebody who then goes on to win the challenge. And the prize will be given to, quote, anyone who can show under proper observing conditions evidence of any paranormal, supernatural or occult power or event, end quote. So we have a new big challenge there. Not quite a million dollars, but it's getting closer to that. <laughs> and uh, psychics and others can apply for it. So it's cool. Uh, I hope, actually, I really do hope that somebody wins it one day. That would be very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> but we are a little bit skeptical about that happening. Yeah, I no, well, I think the money is safe, but... Uh... Yeah, all right. I think this has been all that we wanted to cover in terms of news. Uh, so there is nothing else left for us but to move on to the really wrong segment. So Pontus, have we got someone to talk about who's been really wrong? Yes, we do. We go to Denmark for this one. In 2015, there was a lot of hullabaloo in Denmark regarding young girls who reportedly had become sick after taking the recommended HPV vaccinations. Mm -hmm. yeah. Most Notorious became a documentary on public TV, and it was called The Vaccinated Girls Sick and Betrayed. Ta -da! Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that documentary, especially one MD and a specialist called Jesper Melsen, he forcefully argued that the vaccine had caused a lot of illnesses among vaccinated girls. The symptoms were fatigue, fainting, headaches, palpitation or general pain. And, and we should note that these are all very general and non-specific problems. And I'll come back to that. Of course, this documentary led to lots of stories emerging in the press, parental activist groups being formed and falling vaccination rates. In 2016, the Danish authorities put aside about 1 million euro to scientifically investigate if there was any connections between the HPV vaccination and the reported problems. Now, the results of these studies have been presented, and guess what? No. No. <laughs> no. The answer is no. <laughs> In short, the researchers could not find any connection between the vaccine and any health problems, and in my opinion, they were very thorough. They looked at this in, very in several different ways. So they investigated girls vaccinated in 2014 and 2015. And they asked the following questions. Did the vaccinated girls have more reported absence from school than non-vaccinated girls? They did not. The answer is that they did not. The second thing was... Were the vaccinated girls more often later diagnosed with illnesses like epilepsy, narcolepsy, autism or any other specific diagnosis? And no, they were not. Did the vaccinated girls more often than others report vague or non-specific health issues such as headaches, dizziness, nausea or stomach issues? No, they did not. Did the vaccinated girls have a higher number of any kind of reported illnesses after the vaccination than they had had before the vaccination. And again, they did not. 
Apart from these studies that was conducted, the researchers also looked at other published scientific studies and again they found no link between the HPV vaccine and any health problems. So that's pretty convincing. 1 million euros and three years later there has been no vaccine safety issue found and the vaccine is therefore, in my opinion, in everybody's opinion, or should be in everybody's opinion, safe. Hmm. But... But Uh, of course they had to come up with that that result of course yeah they were paid i'm sure they were uh (laughs) but so did it convince everybody no it did not convince jesper melsen the doctor who played such a big part in the problematic tv documentary from 2015 He has made some very confusing mental gymnastics and he tries to argue, and this is, please pay attention because this is interesting. He has said that the studies have only focused on correlation, not whether the symptoms have been caused by the vaccine. But if there is no correlation, why would we even ask the question whether there has been any causation? Exactly, exactly. It's crazy talk. So, of course, you can have correlation that has no causation. We are used to that. But you can't have causation that has no correlation. That, that's, exactly. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he has to double down. And he goes on to say that regardless of all the studies and all the evidence that's been presented, he still thinks that there is, quote, indications, end quote. That's pretty vague. Uh, But hopefully now the scientific results will be so convincing that people stop listening to this guy. But uh, I'm sure there will always be the doubters and the deniers. But... For digging his heels in and refusing to accept the clear signs, Jesper Melsen gets today's prize for being really wrong. And, I must point out, it's still really right to get your kids vaccinated. (laughs) But but as, as we talked about last week and before many times, unfortunately facts do not convince people. So we've got to come up with a good story. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) You're right. Yeah, and stories could be made up completely. That's that's, uh, that's a problem. And it's a difficulty to distinguish between a story based on reality and completely fiction. Mm. So, uh, yeah. yeah that, that's the problem we have, right? We have to come up with stories that are not fiction. And uh... <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. And you know, I keep telling that to everyone, how many real masters of that kind of combination of fiction and reality exist out there and one of them i think the the, one of the the best known among those is dan brown and (laughs) in my everyday work Mm. i come across that all the time wherever we go there there is some kind of connection to dan brown's works Mm -hmm. and he puts everything on the basis of reality Real facts, historical and um, art historical facts that he uses, and he builds a completely fictionalized story on those facts. And the border between the two is completely blurred. Mm. Mm. And this is why a lot of people do actually believe that whatever Dan Brown's books say about, I don't know, the Vatican, about (laughs) Da Vinci or about uh, Dante, Mm. it's all facts. 
And you have to clear that up. And you have to be familiar with the story to, to, to make it clear that, no, 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 no. This part is okay. But from that on, it's Pure completely fiction. fictionalized. Yeah, yeah. Don't believe a word of it. And it's difficult. It's, it's very, very, very difficult. And uh, this is why it's easier to just base everything on facts and come up with a story. And sometimes even historical facts can be so intriguing. Yeah. And it's amazing. <laughs> I know, Pontus, you, you love history as, as well as I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this, this is why I like, I like talking about this. Yeah. So facts do matter. We just need to make them effective. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And I think this concludes our show. Uh, but before we go, I'd like to encourage our listeners, first of all, thank you very much for staying with us, hopefully for the next couple hundred episodes. <laughs> but uh, please let us know. We've just passed another milestone uh, with the 200th episode. I'd like to encourage our listeners to get in touch with suggestions, uh, with ideas, with criticism, uh, everything you have in mind please tell us about it because we would like to improve the show. We would like to provide you with information that suits your needs better. So we don't just do it for ourselves. We want to do it for the community. And we need to know what the community wants in terms of uh, approach, um, information, what kind of things you want to hear more about. So yeah, feel free to contact us, please. There are several ways you can get in touch. So our uh, main email address is info at theesp.eu. But also you can follow us on Twitter and the Twitter handle is espodcast underscore eu. Find us on Facebook, like us on there, send us a message. Or go on our website, which is theesp.eu and complete a form on there. And also if you're getting our podcast on iTunes, please leave us uh, a review. Yeah, and, and, and check out our events calendar on the webpage. It's very uh, interesting to see how much is going on every week all over Europe. Uh, you can see how active the community is and you can get inspired to start your own skeptics in the pub or go to anyone that's there. And if you really like what we do, of course, we do appreciate very much those of you who have gone to Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash the ESP and pledge to give us a dollar or two for each episode that we uh, release. It helps a lot in, in the production of the show and um, makes us very happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you are uh, so encouraged to start your own local pub, uh, Skeptics in the Pub event, or any kind of event, or mm -hmm. a local group, then please contact us and tell us about it, because we want to be in the know when it comes to everything happening in Europe in the, the field of skepticism. So, yeah. All right. So, as usual, we will conclude the show with a quote. Yelena, have you got one for us? I do, yes. The quote is from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He used to be a Russian writer. And it goes like this. Skepticism is a way of freeing the dogmatic mind. And that's where its value lies. Hmm. Indeed. <laughs> Good old and how do you say how do you say his name again Alexander Solzhenitsyn oh I love that I love the sound <laughs> of it okay thank you very much Yelena alrighty and indeed thanks to both of you for joining me today fun times thanks to our listeners for tuning in please keep doing so 
And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Пока-пока. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe He did invent pay toilet though. How awesome is that? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it Vespasian? You know, I don't know if it was like 2000 years ago. No, no, I don't <laughs> 2000 years ago. What would you pay with? Well, they had coins well, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, but yes, so he did invent the door lock for London toilets required to insert a penny coin to operate it. Ah, okay, okay. So yeah. maybe the other the dude, the other dude you mentioned, invented. No, no, no. Uh, the Emperor Vespasian did did not invent any kind of lock or anything. He just uh, put a tax on uh, oh. urinating in public no, that's toilets. Different. Yeah, yeah, that's different. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we uh, we kind of resolved that issue of paid toilets because it's an important topic. <laughs>